Hi, this is Dr. Karen Becker, and today we're filming at my practice. I decided to include you all in uh, how we go about determining when to remove lumps and bumps on pets. And I'm doing that because my dog, Violet, needs to have two masses removed. So I just wanted to walk you through the process of how to determine how, why, when, and what to do about lumps and bumps when you find them on your pet. I say when because if your pets are blessed to live long enough, it's not if your dog or cat ends up with a skin tag, a sebaceous cyst, a wart, a tumor, a fatty mass called a lipoma. It's not if these things come about, it's usually when. And the reason is, is that as pets age, just like as humans age, it would be rare that you would be into your 70s, 80s, or 90s and have beautiful, flawless skin. Most of us, even midlife, um, are having all sorts of skin tags pop up, discoloration, lumps and bumps, things that are benign in most situations. But it is important, as the terrain of your pet's body changes, that you do have those lumps and bumps evaluated by a veterinarian. So my first word to the wise is, as you are doing your regular examinations of your pets, if you're finding things that feel different on your pet's skin, you need to part the fur and maybe even look with a flashlight. Identify things that have not been there before, things that are new, or things that um, you're darn sure weren't there last week but are there now. That could be an insight, an insect bite, a scab, Animals can develop sebaceous cysts or even pimples really quickly, like in a 12-hour period, things can just pop up. Rarely, if ever, are these lumps and bumps an emergency. Occasionally, lumps and bumps fall into urgent care, like if there's an abscess or a boil that's developing. Sometimes that's urgent care, where the pet's really uncomfortable and you can see that the mass is growing. Uh, that would be something you would want to get to your veterinarian that day or the next day. Rarely would you ever have to make an emergency visit to the veterinarian because of a lumper bump. So the good news is you can take a deep breath and make an appointment. What I tell my clients is when you find a lumper bump, I recommend that you monitor it. If the mass is growing or changing quickly, it would be worthy of you getting in to see your veterinarian sooner rather than later. If you notice that there's, let's say, a discoloration on your pet skin or what you think is a skin tag, and you're monitoring it, and it's not growing or changing over the course of weeks to months. What I tell my clients is, you know, make a list of the things you want to discuss at your pet's six-month wellness exam, and we'll go over those lumps and bumps then. If the lump and bump is changing rapidly, you do need to get in sooner rather than later. So in my dog's case, I noticed that she had two very small pea-sized lumps on her body. They were firm. I could pick them up. I can move them around. I wasn't nervous, but they're new, so I just decided to watch them. And over the course of time, both of those lumps became bigger and firmer. So I did exactly what I tell my clients to do. When you can see a mass that's changing, uh, you need to get a expert opinion by doing what's called a fine needle aspirate. And a fine needle aspirate is when we stick a needle in those masses, extract some cells, put the cells on a slide, and then we send them to the pathologist for them to cellularly evaluate them. And by doing that, we can get a tentative diagnosis of what the masses could be. So in Violet's situation, I did stain her, her slides and look in-house. I looked under my microscope, and I didn't like what I saw. She had a high mitotic division rate. These cells were replicating quickly. I did send her, her slides out for a second opinion, and the pathologist thought that there could be spindle cells, which means she could have a tumor, a cancer's process going on, and he suggested that we surgically remove it. So that's what we're doing today. So what, what I tell my clients is that's a little bit different approach than what I learned in vet school. In veterinary school, I was taught, in essence, that if your client brings a lump, bump, mass, skin tag to your attention, that you need to suggest removing it because 
as that earnings, we make money and the client is happy. But if we adhere to those rules, then unfortunately pets would be going under anesthesia a lot. And for a lot of those lumps and bumps, it's totally unnecessary because they're benign, it's nothing to worry about, they would never impinge on quality of life, longevity. And as long as the mess isn't cancer, other than aesthetically, there's no reason to consider lopping things off your pets um, unless you have to. So here are my two rules of thumb. If the fine needle aspirate shows that there's something scary brewing, like if there's a firm diagnosis of cancer, certainly surgically removing it is going to give your pet the best chance of being cancer free. So you need to go to surgery. If the fine needle aspirate comes back as it being benign, which means nothing to worry about, there's no abnormal cells, then that's awesome. What we do at my practice is we have a body chart and we mark down exactly where the mass was, the size, the date, and what the fine needle aspirate showed. So if it's benign, we just mark it down that it's a, you know, a one by one centimeter skin tag that we aspirated on June 2nd of this year. And then we're able to measure and see if it grows or changes and clients are able to say, is it any bigger last time than this time? And we're able to discern that. If this fine needle aspirate comes back as being benign, there's not a reason to remove it unless the patient quality of life is compromised. So that's the second reason that we recommend going to surgery for lumps, bumps, or masses. If the patient's quality of life is suffering because of the lump, even if it's benign, we do remove those lumps. So for instance, a lot of skin tags that are found on the margins of dogs or cats' eyes, they're totally benign, but because they're on the eyelid, as the pet blinks, it can cause a lot of corneal irritation and pain. In that situation, even though the mass is benign, we do recommend surgically removing it because it's uncomfortable for the patient. Likewise, sometimes dogs get warts and the warts are super itchy. So every now and then we have dogs that realize they have a wart right there. It is tremendously itchy. And when mom and dad are at work all day, the dog spends the entire day licking, chewing, licking, chewing. And you can come home with a big, open, bloody wound from your dog obsessing about the wart. So in that situation, the wart's benign, really not a medical reason to remove a wart. However, the patient's quality of life is suffering because the wart's so itchy. So in those situations, uh, your veterinarian could recommend that you remove the wart and I would totally agree. In violent situation, because her final aspirates came back with some questionable cells, we're going to go to surgery today and remove those tumors. And then what I'll do is I will excise them, cut them out. We'll send them to the pathologist for a, a, a a confirmation of what those cells are. So if it's something spooky, we'll follow up with an appropriate integrative protocol. If it turns out that the masses um, had a high cellular replication rate, but that they were benign and nothing to worry about, I don't need to follow up other than a little detoxification protocol from her anesthetic. So today, the whole reason we're going to surgery is she has growing masses that fine little aspirate confirmed needs to come off. So we're going to do that. If you have a mass that's growing on your pet and you do a fine needle aspirate, that's a really important step because veterinarians aren't psychic. So every now and then I'll have clients say, yeah, I know my vet felt this mass and said it, it needs to come off. We don't know what's going on inside that mass unless we extract some cells and look. So I wholeheartedly recommend that you demand a fine needle aspirate. The second reason that you need to consider doing a fine needle aspirate before you remove anything, not only to determine if you need to go to anesthesia, because if it's benign, don't do it, but there are some tumors that we need to excise very widely. So for instance, mast cell tumors are tumors that need to be surgically removed in most cases, but they need a very wide margin. So if your veterinarian feels a mass and says, well, you know, I think we should take it off and doesn't know it's a mast cell, 
and it does a beautiful, very small cosmetic procedure to simply remove that mass, fingers of tumor cells can slip down into deeper tissue and what needed to happen was we needed a confirming diagnosis with an aspirate to be able to know what surgical margins to take based on the tumor type and that's a really important thing. The other thing that I think is really important is that if the fine needle aspirate comes back as being a tumor where a, a soft tissue surgeon is required, that's really important as well. So in Violet's situation, I am not a soft tissue surgeon. Uh, I'm, my practice is 90% internal medicine and I do a lot of exotics. So we do spays and neuters, we do a lot of lumpectomies, but if Violet's aspirate were to come back as a deep-seated cancer, I would have automatically asked my soft tissue surgeon to complete the surgery because that's his area of expertise. I feel totally comfortable excising Violet's masses, so I'm going to do it myself. That's a great question to ask um, your veterinarian. For instance, if there was a, a bony tumor, I would be asking my orthopedic surgeon to please step in because bones are not my expertise. It's a fine question, hopefully not offensive to your veterinarian, for you to ask those questions like, do you feel comfortable doing the surgery? How many have you done? Would you feel better if I went to a, a soft tissue surgeon or orthopedic surgeon for the procedure? If my pet has to spend the night, who's gonna be here to take care of my pet? These are all questions that you should definitely ask. Even if you've been going to the veterinarian for 20 years, protocols change and evolve and you should feel really comfortable knowing that your surgeon's confident in doing the procedure. Additionally, you need to ask those questions that you might not think about. At my practice, we have a sheet called um, What's Different About Anesthesia at Natural Pet? It goes over some of the basic questions like, what are we gonna do for pain management? And what I will tell you in my opinion is if you are having your pet cut into with a scalpel, he or she deserves pain management, period. So veterinarians that say, yeah, you know, pain will keep them down or the pain's gonna keep them quiet, it is not true. What we do know about pain is pain inhibits wound healing. So there, in my opinion, there is no, no reason, there's no excuse to never administer excellent pain management. So if you are a person that says, you know, I'm nervous, I, I don't want my dogs to, or cats to be under the influence of pain management, I will assure you that your pet will heal, heal better with less complications if you accept pain management. Now the type of pain management, the dose, the category of drug, or whether you're blending drugs with the natural protocol, all based on your pet's procedure, age, concurrent medical conditions, and what type of medicine your vet practices. But pain management has to be addressed, in my opinion. Second thing you need to ask your veterinarian about is what type of anesthesia are you using? Hopefully the, your veterinarian is using up-to-date inhalant anesthesia. At my practice, we use an inhalant anesthesia called sevoflurane. You can also use isoflurane. It's important that your veterinarian is using one of those two inhalant anesthetics. You can also ask about pre-medications that are used. We do recommend, and I will be pre-medicating Violet today with a drug called butorphanol. The cool thing about butorphanol uh, and why I've selected it for her is that it does help reduce the amount of inhalant gas anesthetic that she's going to require, so it's going to keep her drug doses low. But we also know that it blocks some pain fibers, and what we know about administering pain medication prior to a painful procedure is that it helps block pain windup which means it helps reduce the amount of intense pain she could experience by blocking pain fibers before pain happens. So that's smart medicine as well. At my practice, we have certified anesthetic equipment, which means we have an independent company come by annually and check all of our equipment to make sure not only it's functioning up to par, but that it's all working exactly as it should be. Certainly, Asking your veterinarian about recovery is really important. Uh, don't let anyone ever tell you that anesthesia is routine. It's routine and nothing to worry about. 
anesthesia is always important to focus on. There is never a routine anesthetic because in essence, anesthesia is hovering between unconsciousness and death. And that's a fine line and it's a line that needs to be closely monitored. So recovery is critically important. Maintaining an animal's body temperature during the procedure and after the procedure is critically important. So I have um, a technician that will be with my dog um, the entire time and will not leave her side in recovery and those are important questions to ask. How anesthesia is monitored during the procedure is another important question. Are they monitoring temperature, pulse, respiration, um, oxygen levels? Those are very important questions that your vet needs to answer yes to. I've heard more than one or two horror stories with clients coming in where they have learned to ask these questions and they have selected to not use certain veterinarians because veterinarians have mentioned things like, well, you know, we don't really have monitoring equipment. We just look at the color of the tongue. That's scary. And I would not recommend anesthesia anywhere where they're not, where they don't have great anesthetic monitoring equipment because monitoring the color of the tongue is not adequate monitoring. So asking those questions like how, you, how do you monitor my pet under anesthesia, it's a great question and one that you should feel comfortable in, in getting a correct answer. Um, the last thing that's important is that there's no cookie cutter anesthetic protocol for your pet. So if your pet has kidney disease, liver disease, is really old, cardiac disease, if your pet has some other medical conditions, oftentimes the anesthetic protocol needs to be adjusted to account for that. Violet's very healthy, Violet's eight going on nine. She has no medical issues and her pre-anesthetic blood work is perfect. So that's the last point that I wanna make. Do not let any veterinarian anesthetize your pet without checking his or her vital organ function. So I did blood work on Violet. I will not anesthetize a pet without checking organ function because I have to know in my heart that the organs of detoxification are capable of detoxifying. Probably the biggest risk associated with anesthesia is if the body is incapable of processing the anesthetic, that's when scary, unexpected deaths can occur, um, unexpectedly, but really by checking vital organ function, we could have discerned that there could have been kidney or liver dysfunction prior to the procedure and not done the procedure. So being able to guarantee that organ function is up to par is an important piece of, to the best of our ability, making sure that anesthesia goes smoothly. So those are some of the big questions you need to be asking your veterinarian. Um, so, pre-anesthetic blood work, uh, fine needle aspirin, so we know how nervous we need to be, how big of margins we need to be, how big of margins we need to take uh, surgically, and then of course the day of surgery, your veterinarian is going to tell you to fast your pet. That means no food and no water the day of the procedure. Your veterinarian will tell you, depending on the protocol, the drug protocol that they're picking, exactly how long that your pet needs to be fasted. Violet had dinner last night. She had water up until midnight, but she has not consumed any food this morning. If your pet sneaks food, gets food, you forget, tell your veterinarian because the GI tract needs to be empty and rested. If animals have consumed food or water, the chances under anesthesia that they could vomit and aspirate is much greater. And so if your pet stuck something, be honest with your veterinarian the morning of your pet's anesthesia. Okay, so now I'm going to get Violet and show you her lumps. So this is our patient. The patient's name happens to be my dog, which is um, nice for all of you to see, kind of working through this. Okay, so Violet has two lumps that suddenly grew. That we have, I noticed them when they were about pea size. They're pretty small. But I would say now they're the size of quarters. So when on aspiration, when I stuck some cells out, both of the lumps showed a high cellular division rate. So time to take them off because cells are growing rapidly. There's some spindle cells in there, which means it could be a form of cancer. 
So they're coming off. Remember the two criteria are one, scary cells, and we determine that based on finding the last word, and number two, if the patient's quality of life is compromised. Violet doesn't even know that these are on her, so she's not, she has no idea why she's here. They're not bothersome to her at all. They're bothersome to me because I know on final aspiration that she's got some weird cells in there, so they're coming off today. Sometimes people say, if the final aspirin comes back as being benign, how do I know in a year or two or three that they're still benign? And that's a really great question. What I suggest you do is if you do an aspiration and it comes back as being benign, nothing to worry about, and you put your mind at rest, you really don't need to be nervous unless the masses grow or change. So if that mass never grows and never changes, we can surmise that there's nothing happening cellularly inside those masses that you need to be nervous about. If you have a lump that you've been monitoring and maybe you've done annual aspirations and it comes back benign, 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 nothing to worry about. But if suddenly, out of the blue, you notice that that mass triples or quadruples in size, you do need to re-aspirate it. Even if the previous diagnosis was benign, the one thing I tell my clients is this, if you're nervous about things like cancer, the, the good thing about cancer is cancer cells always replicate. They are always growing. They may be slow growing or they could be a really hot, aggressive tumor, but cancer cells replicate faster than normal cells. So if you have a pea-sized lump that you found on your dog that has never gotten any bigger, never gotten any smaller, chances of it being cancer slim to none because it's, it's the same size. If you have a pea-sized lump, that all of a sudden quadruples in size and that you went from a pea to a walnut, you do need to re-aspirate. Okay, so violent lumps meet the criteria. Final aspirate says remove them. That's what we're gonna do today. After I just got done saying that I don't ever advocate anesthesia for elective lumps and bumps. That means if Violet does actually have a lot of skin tags, she has a few warts, she's going on nine, she's got some old lady lumps and bumps, we are not going to remove some of those, but we do say to our clients, listen, if, we're, if we have a reason for anesthesia, which we do, is there anything else we need to take care of while the pet is under? So for instance, if Violet did have bad teeth, she doesn't. But if she needed a dental, now's the time to do it. One anesthesia, get everything taken care of. Violet doesn't need her teeth cleaned, so we're not doing that. I will tell you that Violet has a large skin tag, which we'll show you in a few minutes. It's large and it's growing and it creeps some of my family members out. It doesn't creep me out, and as much as I said to my family, we're going to call, we call it a dingleberry. We're going to call Violet's dingle a beauty mark, and I tried to convince them of her beauty mark status, and they do not believe it. And my husband said to me, honey, you wanna show? She said, you, you wanna show our guests where, where your dingle is? Here's, I don't know if you can see it, I'll show you in a few minutes. Violet has a large growing skin tag that's totally benign, and there is not a medical reason to lop it off. But because it will take me 30 seconds to remove it and because she's already under anesthesia, I'm going to remove this um, because some of my family members think it's gross. If Violet were to come to me and this was the only issue on her body, I would never recommend anesthesia to just remove that. It's totally unnecessary. But because she's out and because I can just snip it off, we're doing two required procedures and one small cosmetic procedure because she's already under. Okay. The other thing I'll mention is we will be trimming Violet's nails. She's a pistol for nail trim. She doesn't like nail trims. So while she's out, uh, ask your veterinarian. If you have a dog that doesn't like nail trims like Violet, just ask your veterinarian to do a little pedicure while they're under. Okay, now I'm gonna give Violet her pre-medication. Pre-meds, um, Ashley's gonna come and just hold Violet's leash.
Um, Pre-medications just reduce the amount of anesthesia necessary. Good girl, there you go. Um, so I'm just gonna give, give Violet, that's okay, Pumpkin. Give Violet her meds, and these take about 20 minutes for her to relax. Good job, Pumpkin. Good job. And um, so now we're just gonna hang out with Violet while she gets sleepy. I am gonna apply, that's a good job. I am gonna apply some essential oils on her. This is an essential oil blend called Peace and Calming that I'm just gonna apply on her ear tips and down her spine. She's nervous, she's really nervous. So using some essential oils now um, is a good time just to help facilitate a calming experience for her as those drugs start to help her relax. Nice job. Okay, so now I'm gonna put a catheter in Violet. The reason that it's important to have a catheter for procedures is that Obviously, we're not anticipating any complications, but if there are complications, if I need to administer medication, let's say her heart rate drops and I need to give her some drugs to get her heart rate up, I need to have a really easy, already established port of entry for those medications. So I'm going to pop a quick catheter in Violet. Um, her pre-medication is starting to work. She's starting to relax. She, she is on a heated surgery table. That's a very important. Um, your, your vet may not have a heated surgery table, but he will be putting... Um, he or she will be using some type of heated blanket to be able to maintain body temperature. So she's going to pants a little bit right now because she's not unconscious, but when she goes unconscious, she'll appreciate that extra heat. Okay, catheter's in, pre-med's on board. We are now going to induce her under anesthesia, which means I'm going to give her this, which is propofol. It goes IV. This is going to take her rapidly from a conscious state to an unconscious state. Once she's unconscious, I'm going to put this tube down her trachea and tie it to her the bridge of her mouth. We're going to fill it up with air. And this is to make sure, of course, that uh, we're keeping her trachea open, her larynx open, um, glottis open, back of the throat, uh, so we can administer gas anesthesia and 100% oxygen to her. So, Violet, mother will see you in... Half an hour, okay, you, so you have sweet dreams. So we give her this IV solution slowly. She's gonna take some nice deep breaths. You are being a perfect girl. Ooh, you're starting to relax like. It's trying to relax. You know, it's, your head's getting heavy, isn't it? You're counting backwards. Yeah, you're doing a good job, I can see. I know. It's too hard to stay awake. You're going to have to let it go. Yeah, just get to relax. Nice job. Down you go. Good night, honey. Good night. Now she's going to check her jaw tone. Still tight. Okay. Okay. Prop her up. And now she's going to hold her mouth open. I'm going to pull her tongue out. We're going to put this tube right down the back of her throat into her trachea. I'm going to tie it to the roof of her mouth. And we're going to get her started on oxygen inhalant gas anesthesia. Now at the same time, I'm going to put this tube down her esophagus, which is going to monitor 
her temperature, pulse, respiration, and then we're gonna hook a clamp on her tongue, which will monitor her, her oxygen carrying capacity in her bloodstream. So that beeping, we, we come to love that beeping. It's a nice, strong heart rate. And then Ashley will lubricate her eyes so that her corneas don't dry out. And I'm going to start some fluids, some lactated ringers, a fluid solution just to help keep her blood pressure up during the procedure. So these are, this is Violet's Dingleberry, the cosmetic procedure, which I'll be removing because it's just unsightly. We would never perform anesthesia just to remove a benign skin tag, but because she's out, we'll take advantage of it. This is one scary mass we're going to remove, and this is a second scary mass um, that we're going to remove. Ashley's going to clip and clean this area, get the skin um, nice and prepped for surgical procedure. Okay, so Violet has been clipped, cleaned, um, all three sites have been prepped. Ashley will repair it as we go, and I'm just gonna remove the first one, and I will remove it and cut it off and put it in a specimen container. Off to my tech who's going to pop that into a formalin jar and we'll submit it for pathology. Okay, I'm just putting in her last stitch here and we'll move along to the second tumor. We are done, we removed the second mask. The second mask was slightly larger, so I've cut it in half for the formalin to be able to infiltrate the mask. I'm just gonna pass this off to my lovely assistant. And all we have left is her benign skin tag, which will come off incredibly easily with just a little, a little nick of the scalpel. So right now I have a hemostat on there that's helping to occlude any blood supply that the tumor, or that the skin tag has. Uh, I'm just going to easily and gently remove that little dingle just like that. And that will make my entire family much happier because it's gone. Da-da. Now we're going to wake her up. Ashley's gonna turn the gas off. We leave the oxygen on. We'll leave the oxygen on until she uh, regains consciousness and uh, we will leave her tray tube in until she's able to swallow. So now we will stand around and um, clean up her wounds. I will take off my 
surgical apparel, and Ashley will perform a pedicure. So, Violet's procedures are done. All of her masks came off fine. She was totally stable during anesthesia. We turned the anesthesia off. She's breathing 100% oxygen. She will start blinking and swallowing soon. Um, once she regains um, those reflexes, will take the oxygen away. And actually, her breathing room air will help facilitate her waking up further. Ashley's going to hang out with her, check her vitals, monitor temperature. She has a hot water heating pad on her to help maintain her body temperature. Uh, she'll check her body temperature every three or four minutes until she's awake. Okay, Violet's been off the surgery table about 15 minutes. Trach tube came out. She's breathing on her own. She's recovering fine. She's peaceful. She's got great pain meds on board. Temperature's fine and stable. She'll probably get up and try walking in a few minutes. Uh, she'll go home in a few hours. It is important that uh, when you pick your dog or cat up from anesthesia that they are alert, awake, able to walk. Ask any questions that you have about the procedure to the veterinarian. Your veterinarian won't have answers about the masses that he removed right away. I have to send those masses out to a pathologist who's going to examine them microscopically. In anywhere from three to five days, he'll fax me a report as to what those masses were for Violet, and then I'll be able to make a treatment plan accordingly. Anesthesia shuts down her GI tract, so she's not going to go poop for at least a day, sometimes two days. Tomorrow she's going to take it easy. It's important that she doesn't lick her incision, so we'll either put an e-collar on her or put a t-shirt on her to make sure that she's leaving her masses alone. I want her to take it easy for the next few days, not a whole lot of exercise, um, just allowing her body to recover from the anesthetic. I will be putting her on some milk thistle, which will help her liver detoxify from the medications and the, the anesthesia. Uh, but she should be recovered and fine, and probably by tomorrow afternoon you should be wondering why she's on bed rest for a few days. Hopefully this video has allowed you to make better decisions about the lumps and bumps that you choose to remove, how you choose to remove them, and a treatment protocol that makes you feel good about anesthesia involving lump removal.